something to do. And God wants to reveal that to us. He's given you gifts by his spirit. He wants to continue increasingly empower those gifts in you and stir up your faith and stir up those gifts so that you would move in action. It was great that it was shared about uh, the picture that God gave us about what it does when we do these things, when we hear and listen to his voice, hear his voice and then act upon it in obedience. It's like we're building for our lives a firm foundation, right? It's like our life is built on a solid rock at that point. And isn't that what we desire? You may be here today and you feel not like you're standing on the solid ground 100%. There's things happening in your life. And maybe you feel a little sense of hopelessness. Maybe you've wandered off his path in some way. Maybe everybody knows it and you're the laughing stock of the city. Or maybe it's just kind of a something that's just inside, a turmoil, a, a dissatisfaction or something you've been engaged with and it's grieving your spirit and you're not feeling that, that sense of, uh, of firmness in your life. I would just urge you today just to sort of hit the reset button. Let God speak to you. He longs to speak to you. You're not too far away. No matter what is happening in your life, let God speak to you today personally, directly. He longs to do it. And when you hear his voice, which I fully expect he will speak to you, and if you would just turn your heart right now, uh, I can't make you hear him, right? But he does long to speak to you. What I would urge you to do is just turn your heart to him. Even now as we begin, we're going to open up the word of God. And just ask him, say, God, speak to me afresh. Maybe you heard him at one point in your life regularly, daily, but you feel like there's something happening in your life and you're not hearing his voice. Ask him, just turn your heart and say, Lord, speak to me and then act on it. And you're going to see affirming up the hopelessness dispelled and, and your purpose in life revealing itself more and more. And this is how God created us to be, right? To live this life in service of him. He calls it the abundant life and it's the best life to live. It's a life worth living and say, I thought you're here to promote a an activity or something. Now you're talking about like my firm foundation. But this, it's all ties together. It's all part of his beautiful work in this world and in your life personally. He is big. He is alive. And uh, he's doing this vibrant, ongoing work for the last 2,000 years in this fresh way. Ever since uh, he ascended into heaven and the disciples went in and, uh, uh, and the tongues of fire came and he came by his spirit in a fresh and a new way for 2,000 years. God has been moving in this way through his people and he wants to use you today. And that is what the festival is all about, that we would come together in unity, lift high the name of Jesus, use our gifts to love and serve the city and to share the good news. And we can remember uh, that day in our lives when somebody so faithfully delivered that message uh, and our lives began again. So one of the strategic tools we have for the festival, so there's all of these activities happening. I'll kind of focus in on that on that day uh, in, in September when we'll all be gathered there. It'll be beautiful, sunny like today, maybe a little warmer, don't you think? We can pray about that. Uh, last time I was down there at the park, that was like there were icebergs floating down there. I was like, wow, I didn't even get down to the grass part. There was so much snow, but now I see it. I see the vision now. It's beautiful. But we'll be down there. There'll be activities for the children. Uh, so bring out the neighborhood. We want to encourage you uh, uh, that, that we need your help. But this is not one of the things we just say, well, Andrew Palau speaking on the Saturday. Luis is on the 
Sunday and let's just go out and enjoy this thing. We'll have a big Christian party. It should be the greatest Christian party we've ever seen, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is that we would be down there with your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, everybody who God would put on your heart to bring to that place. That's the whole purpose of this, uh, of this effort. And the strategic tool that we put on your uh, uh, chair there ties into all of the things we're talking about. It's for July in the school. It's for uh, Unity Fest. And I'll, I'll be up in Gaylord, Michigan at their festival up there. And then there's one in Spring Arbor, and then we'll be gathered there. But for all those activities, it, there's simply ways for you to think through, who do I know in that area? Who do, who's visiting me on this day? Who is God going to open a door for me to invite? Who are those people that are on? This is a prayer card, and you've seen this before. Every time something like this happens, it's a, it's a kind of a tool that reminds you that it's all about other people and you being used in their lives. So this is a little card that, uh, that would in impact people through prayer, and prayer is a massive, uh, has a massive impact in life uh, and in the world around us. So we want to encourage everybody to make a foundation of the festival planning and your work in it to base it in prayer. So this is a prayer card. Something unique about this strategy is that if you give us your name, your email, we'll know how to contact you. We know you're at this church, so put that down anyway. And list the names of the people that you would uh, hear from God. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. You may have your lifers, you know, the people you don't need no stinking prayer card for, right? You're always praying for them. They never leave your heart. Their, their faces are always before you. Put them on there. Ask God to open that door. Or he may surprise you and put so, uh, another name or a face or idea today on your, on your heart and you put it on there. Or along the way, uh, as you run into people, just say, Lord, is this what you're saying to me? Have you brought me into this relationship or refresh this relationship so that I could share uh, the good news with them through some of these activities and keep it in mind and you'll be happy that you did it. The other reason you'll be happy is we're going to join you in prayer. We have hundreds of people on our prayer committee and our leadership team in prayer and they're regularly going through the thousands of names that are being gathered all across West Michigan to, to go one by one by one joining you in prayer for those people. So if you believe in the power of prayer and I'm sure you do, Fill this out and hand that in. This becomes like the foundation of our strategy that God's people will be praying for their friends and inviting them to know Jesus. And so that's kind of like we see what the festival is and we'll be down there at the park. We know what to do. God wants to use you personally to bring your friends down there. And that's how we can serve together. And there's so many other ways to get involved. We need you to be a counselor trained, uh, to be an altar worker for those who respond to the gospel. You can be a volunteer down there. But any of those things that you get involved with, don't let them distract you from this foundational piece. And, and I'm going to open up the word of God to a passage that I love that ties in so perfectly to the season that I sense that you're in here, uh, here at, at, at Central Assembly. Uh, and it's Mark 2, and it's a familiar passage to some of you if you grew up in the church, or, or maybe if you're newer, you're going to be thrilled at what you see. I love this section uh, of Scripture in the early days uh, of Jesus' ministry work. It's such a phenomenal time uh, where we see this series of miracles that Jesus is working uh, everywhere he goes. And uh, I love this passage because when I read it, I say to myself, this is what my God is like, right? This is what he has done for me. I want to be a part of this work of God in this world, just like I see him working here. And I want you to get a big vision for your life. 
as you think about the people and what's happening in this story, you can translate it right into your life and circumstances, uh, and, and you can say, I want my life to count. I want to be involved with this. I want to hear from God, and I'm going to commit myself to acting upon what he says to me. And, and this is what we see in, in Acts 2. So, uh, I'm sorry, in Mark 2. And, and so it's just a little background. It's not a parable, right? It's, it's not a, a, a story in the sense of something illustrative. It's a real encounter with Jesus Christ, the living God, and these people in this little town called Capernaum. And, uh, and, and, it's, and you can let it come alive as you think about Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, right? And the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And then he was taken out by the Holy Spirit into the desert. You remember he went into the desert and he was tempted by Satan and he thwarted Satan with the word of God. And then now John the Baptist has now been imprisoned. So all of this incredible activity, Jesus is out there um, preaching the good news about the kingdom. He's healing, he's casting out demons and all of this commotion is happening. John the Baptist gets imprisoned around all this activity and Jesus is there gathering his disciples, Simon and Andrew and uh, 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 James and John and he's gathering his people and he's beginning to do this teaching. He's, there's so much stuff is happening uh, that he couldn't even go into the cities anymore. It says that the crowds were coming uh, in such numbers that he had to go out, it says, into the lonely places. And that's kind of where we pick up uh, this passage. It's on the Sea of Galilee, a tiny fishing town called Capernaum. And it's, it's, it's kind of like Jesus' home base. In there, you'll see it says, when Jesus came home. So this is like his place. And the house that we're going to read about, now this I don't see in the Bible, but some historians have tracked it back somehow, and they're smart, so I think it's pretty cool, that this probably might be Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. I'm not sure if you ever heard that, but I thought that was kind of interesting. And it might make sense because you remember just a little while earlier, uh, Jesus came and healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So it's like, hey, somebody heals you, you're welcome to the house. Let them tear it up, right? This is about the guys that tear a hole in the roof uh, and lower their friend down to Jesus. So let's read it. That's a little background. Get your mind stimulated to think about it and get a vision and what it might mean to you. It says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, good news, friend, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, 
and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all, and this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What an amazing day. What a thing to uh, experience. And I always just think of those four, you know, if you ever remember in Sunday school, they used to have flannel graphs, right? And this is one of the famous flannel graph stories, and they got the hole in the roof, and they put it down. And, uh, and you know, I just never forget those four faithful friends. And I can just picture them, the joy in their heart to see their friend, maybe their brother, whoever it was to them, someone very special. And they're on the roof, and everybody's down there, like the crowd's out there, like, what is going on? Like, I was in line, and you guys are up on the roof, and uh, you're tearing up Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. What is going on? Get down. And they're up there like, I told you, I told you, I told you. And they're dancing. If I could do a dance, I can't dance. I'm from Oregon. But uh, my dad's from Argentina. My wife is Jamaican, so I should be able to dance, but it hasn't rubbed off on me yet. But you can imagine them just dancing with joy up there. And I've been so challenged in such an encouraging way, studying and considering this over a long period of time. It just seems richer, and it gets better and better. And I, I, I feel my faith being revived to, to want to act and to be like these guys. You know, this is as relevant to us today. It would be as if it happened, like, right down the street last night, and the word was going around about it. Because we know that in Hebrews 13, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we should have every expectation that God would use us in this exact kind of way. And he's doing it. He's doing it here. I sense the presence of the Spirit here, and I can see the prayer ministry going on. God is moving. You know this. You see it. If you're involved in it, get fired up even more. If you feel like maybe you're just investigating or on the sidelines, jump right in and let the Spirit of God use you. You have gifts. We need you, right? Uh, you know, we can't go it alone. We are like, the Bible describes us as a body. So without you, we would be like a body without like a hand or, or an arm. I heard a, an NFL guy got uh, drafted, the first guy with no hand, so maybe it's okay. No, we need you. We need the hand. Whatever part you play, we need you, and God has gifts, and we won't be complete without you listening, hearing God's voice, and acting in obedience, and we will rejoice together, and we will be able to look and see God moving in this way to say we have never seen anyone, anything like this. And so uh, if you're as excited as me, you need a hanky. So I brought my hanky on the way up here. Um, I'm a, I always cry. You'll get used to me eventually. But I get fired up to think of the, the, what God has done in my life and that he would give us this opportunity. It's powerful. So when I look at a passage like this, one way that I think of that can help me get a little deeper on it and understand what God's saying to me is just to kind of break it down a little bit. So I look at every person in it and just consider, what are they experiencing? What did they say? How did they respond? And, and it all ties together. So in this story, I see three groups. And the first one, the three groups you can kind of contemplate a little deeper and the first one of course is Jesus and as usual he's just way ahead of everybody he's not waiting he's acting and he's providing for us an example of of, of what he wants us to to model uh, he's he's faithfully poised and ready he's preaching the gospel and he, uh, and he's delivering to us even our calling as his followers 
at this time. Just a, a little bit later, he says to the guys, this is what, like I provided the example, and, and I'll give you this illustration. You'll be like fishers of men. You're fishermen already, but I'll make you like fishers of men. And, and, and he wants us uh, to be full of faith and full of action. And he brings this physical healing. So we see that. That's inescapable, and it always makes you stop and think, what happened? How did he get up off his mat? What was actually wrong with him? But he brought that physical healing. But the first thing he did, which really reveals God's heart, when he pours out his passion and he pours out his full mercy in a person's life, the first thing on his mind, he says, good news, son, your sins are forgiven. So he forgives his sins. That causes a little stir. Then he brings the physical healing, and then it's all kind of chaos from there. But th that's Jesus, and he's amazing, right? I love Jesus. And then the second thing we see is it, it talks about these men, right? So you think of the four. We talked about them. But it's all, it seems like it's more than the four because it says these some men, it says, brought him, carried by four. So there's this big group of people, and, and you wonder, who is this guy? I don't know why. Maybe because of the flannel graphs. I always thought until I started reading more, like maybe he was like a beggar on the street because Jesus heals so many beggars and he loves the poor and all this stuff. But it doesn't really talk about that. It's probably more likely for someone to have so many friends and four that will carry his mat all around town. It's just someone's son, someone's brother, a, a, a member of the family, a, a member of the community that is loved and respected, but he's felt ill. He's suffered an accident. We don't know exactly what it is, but this disease or whatever it is, it's killing him. And the concern is great. And you can sort of think about that in our lives. You know, you have people around you and you wonder whether it's physical or spiritually, what's going to happen to them? Oh, they're not going to make it. <laughs> uh, my dad has stage four lung cancer right now and uh, it's not looking good. And he fell down the other day and hit his face. And he is planning on being here uh, to preach on the side of the river, the Grand River on that Sunday. So pray for his healing. We're believing for it. He's strong and tough as nails. Uh, but but uh, we're praying for his healing, and we have that same kind of concern. What are we going to do? We're on our knees in prayer. But but uh, these people, uh, they they have this hopefulness, but this uh, they don't know what to do. They've probably taken to all the doctors. They've tried everything, and then they hear this news. There's this man, Jesus, and he's bringing healing. And uh, some people say he might be the Messiah. Maybe we can get our friend to him. But, you know, he was here. But now with all these people around, he doesn't even come in the city anymore. He's out in the lonely places. We'll never get him out there. And then suddenly the stir and the word goes around the city one more time, right? Uh, and, and the word goes out, Jesus is home. And he's back over at Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And they get excited. They're full of faith. They jump up and grab their buddy. And you run down there. And you can just imagine them show up, showing up on the scene and just saying to themselves, oh, no. Maybe they've tried this before, right? Before, when all the crowds were there that caused Jesus to come back, they might have tried before. We don't know. And they're like, shoot, we didn't get up fast enough. We're never going to get them to Jesus. And they have all these hurdles and all these setbacks and opportunities to give up, just like we experience, right? We have friends and we have family and we look at their lives and we love them. And we have nothing greater in our heart that they would know what we know, that they would experience the love and forgiveness of God, that they would have their lives reconfigured and reconstructed and revived and that they would be healed and restored and their sins forgiven, filled with the spirit, full of hope about the future in this world and eternity and all these incredible things that we have because of someone 
bringing us the gospel. We long for them to experience it, but there are so many hurdles, so many setbacks along the way. You know, I have a friend, his name is Kirk. And Kirk uh, and I grew up together in, in the same high school, and uh, my brothers had a band, and he was a bass player. They needed a bass player. Kirk was not a believer, so they said, well, we'll get him saved and then make, put him in the band. So they did that, and that's what happened. He got saved. I think he joined the band first, and then he, he received the Lord, and he just got so on fire for the Lord. And, uh, but what was happening is he loved our family so much, and I was in f- uh, the third of four boys, and I never loved the Lord, and I never walked with the Lord. I heard all about him, but I rejected him for 27 years. And Kirk, he saw me, you know, messing around at the parties, and he had this burden for me. And he loved me so much, and he was always, you know, urging me, like, come on, Andrew. He'd see me at the party. He's like, come on, Andrew. You don't need this. Let's get out of here. And I was so mean to him. And, you know, I wasn't, like, harsh with him, but I was like, Kirk, get out of here. You're bugging me. You know, leave me alone. And his heart was broken, but he tried and tried, and I resisted, and I resisted, and eventually our paths parted. I went off to the University of Oregon. He went off to school in Chicago, and, um, and it's like I didn't hear from him. And then uh, Kirk told me this story uh, that many years later, his mother called him. Now, Kirk had led his whole family to the Lord in the meantime, and his family, his mother called him. He was living uh, on the East Coast in New York City, and she was going to our church in Portland, Oregon. She said, hey, Kirk, I, I'm looking at the bulletin here, and it says that on Sunday, Andrew Palau is going to share his testimony. And Kirk was like, uh, I don't think so, Mom. Uh, you must be confused. It's probably, it's probably Kevin or Keith or maybe Stephen. She's like, no, I mean, it says uh, Andrew Palau sharing his testimony. He's like, no, may, it must be Stephen. Maybe something. And she's like, Kirk, I'm looking at the bulletin right here. It says Andrew Palau sharing his testimony on Sunday. He's like, and, and this is what he said to me. He was like a confession. He confessed it to me. And he told me he was in tears. And I'm like a crying all the time. I already told you. So I'm like crying. I'm like, what? And he said to his mom, mom, that's impossible. And isn't that how sometimes we get? We've carried that burden for so many days. We've prayed so earnestly. Our hearts have been broken so many times. And we just get tired and we get weary and we give up praying and we release them and say, Lord, just you deal with them. Let someone else deal with them. And that's fine. God will deal with them. But I want to urge you for your own good and for your own joy, never give up. And, and Kirk told me, I'm so sorry. Kirk's fine. We got to work together like in festivals for like 15 years. So uh, we're, we're back and good. But these guys, you know, they had this crowd and, and it was so awkward, right? It's like, geez, we can't cut in front of everybody. Is that their attitude? No. Somebody gets this bright idea. Let's climb up on the roof. I've never been to the Holy Land. I want to go someday just to figure out, like, how could they have possibly got on the roof? It might not have been that hard, but they're carrying a guy on a mat. So it couldn't have been that easy either, right? And they had to dig all, all these tiles off, and they do this thing, and everybody's up there yelling at them, get off the roof, wait your turn, right? And they're just like, forget you. They have one thing on their mind. I love their attitude. It's like a child's attitude, right? Like who almost but a child would say, let's just go on the roof and dig a hole through it and put them at the feet of Jesus. They didn't care about obstacles. They didn't care about ridicule. They were bold and they were full of faith and they were going to let nothing deter them from getting their friend to the feet of Jesus. And it's so beautiful to think of them uh, uh, up there. 
uh, in the awkwardness, but full of faith that Jesus recognized. And this is what the festival is all about. This is what all the activities of, of the church at Central Assembly are, are all about. Day by day, we want to be about the business of tearing a hole in the roof of Muskegon and Central Michigan, Western Michigan. Yeah, Central too. We'll deal with them later. Western Michigan for now, right? And to get our friends to the feet of Jesus. And that's what all these activities are about. We're not enamored with, like, music culture or big festivals. We know that this is a strategic place where the gospel that carries power unto salvation can be delivered in fresh and new ways. And each one has its peace. Each one has its place. God may call you to share your faith personally, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever he tells you to do, do it. These festivals and other activities every Sunday at church and all, and the Cinco de Mayo party, they're all opportunities for you in your personal efforts to, to have an opportunity to bring your friends to the feet of Jesus. And when you begin to understand your life, your calling, your purpose, and all of the activities of the body, especially the unified activities that have the Bible talks about some extra power. I won't get into that right now, but I'm tempted. Psalm 133, John 17. You remember, there's something extraordinary about when we act in these things in unity, but we'll get into that another time. But, but, but it kind of leads me, I love their expectation uh, and their posture of faith, uh, and it kind of leads to that third group, and I won't spend much time talking about them, but you recognize that other group that was there. Who were they? The scholars, right? It says the scholars, the, the religious leaders were also there, and what were they doing? What was their posture? They didn't have a posture of faith and expectation. They had a posture of doubt and grumbling and complaining. And they didn't understand. And all they could do is question why, why, why. They didn't understand. And they didn't love God. And, you know, their lack of faith and their grumbling and their, their complaining about it all led them very shortly thereafter to crucifying Jesus Christ on the cross. And so that attitude uh, of, of doubt it, it will not lead you to a good place. When opportunities come, when people challenge you, before you respond with, with criticism or critique, speak well of the opportunity. Consider as hard as it might be for you and your gifts and your makeup, how could you be involved to help those that are enthusiastic about uh, an outreach or an activity? Don't let that posture of doubt and grumbling and pausing and hesitation overwhelm you. Step into those spirits, move in those activities, and find out what you can do, and you will be blessed. Whatever he tells you to do, do it, and that will be like hearing and obeying and getting your feet on the solid rock and having the firm foundation that you desire in your life. You don't want to be wayward. You don't want to be hopeless, sort of feeling like you're sinking spiritually, uh, uh, spiritually like cold. You want to be revived and in the flow of the spirit of God's movement in, in your church and in the area and in the lives of your friends. But there are many lessons we can pull out of here. And some of the big ones I haven't even touched on yet that come out of this passage. But I do think that of the many lessons, the most obvious thing that Mark has revealed to us in this writing is also it's the most obvious application for our very own lives. And it is this. God responds to this kind of faith. And you have to take notice. You may have noticed it before, but uh, it says he sought their faith and that caused him to respond in the way he, that he does. And, and, and it, how did that faith evidence itself? Like, what does it mean? How could we replicate it? What does it look like? 
Uh, man looks at the outward. God sees the heart. The outward evidence is what God commended in this situation. Daring action. Difficult. Dangerous even. I don't know how dangerous it is. They could have fallen through the roof, right? But, you know, co costly, right? That's another thing. Who's going to fix Simon Peter's mother-in-law's roof, right? And that's one of the criticisms of every activity we do for the sake of the gospel and winning of souls. One of the first arguments that comes up, who's going to pay for it? How much are you going to cost? I don't care how much it costs. I'll tell you more about that later. <laughs> but it's controversial, you know? you got to humble yourself. you got to have a heart of love and sacrificial service. You have to be intentional. Think about those people, how hard it's going to be. God's put them on your heart already. You're maybe put them on your card already, or maybe you're hesitating. Put them on the card right now if he told you. But, you know, you're hesitating. You've got to think of and ask God for the open door. When he opens it, no one will be able to shut it. When he shuts it, that's fine. No one's going to be able to open it anyway. But just do what he asks you to do with eagerness. Bring your friend to the feet of Jesus one way or the other. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And, and so what I'm proposing is this, you know. The Bible says, and this is mysterious, according to your faith, it should be done unto you. That's a mystery, right? And we could talk about that more later, but let's just, by faith, grab hold of his promises. Remember the power of the gospel, our role in it to sow seeds, to water seeds, and in the right moment, bring in the harvest. God is the one that brings life to that situation. We don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but we can be faithful to do what he's asked us to do. And the thing I love also about reading this is you can always think for your own life about, about your four, right? Can you think of them? Take a second. Doesn't take long for most people, right? You'll never forget those faithful ones that brought you, right? And for me, I know I think of especially of my parents. You know, my mom and dad were faithful, practiced what they preached in as much as is humanly possible. I mean, they're just regular folks. You'll meet dad. You'll see. You know, he's got issues. But he's awesome, you know? He loves the Lord, and he's faithful uh, to the gospel. And, and over the many years, you know, um, he was good to me and my brothers and good to my mother. And, and uh, he was a, a man of God walking uh, in the things of God. Um, and uh, I had a great church just like this. I didn't see a lot of hypocrisy there or any suffer any abuses that I could speak of in any way. But um, despite those blessings and many other blessings in my life, I'm ashamed to say from the youngest of ages, I turned my back on the things of God and the way of my family. I got involved with alcohol and drugs and on all of the other garbage that this world has to offer for 27 years. And, you know, I was surrounded by all this great uh, environment. But in my heart, I was just a selfish, self-centered punk kid. And I loved to party. I wish I had some better excuse, you know. But I, I, the Bible says we're all without excuse. Even if I had experienced those things, somehow we're still without excuse. But me, I always think more than any other. And, and uh, through high school, out partying, off to the University of Oregon, outside of the constraints of home, I went downhill fast and just heaped all the garbage into my life uh, and, and just went into the pit. Uh, I knew all about it. My father had warned me. I knew it through the church's teachings. But I was so foolish and self-interested that I just carried on and carried on. Then all the lies of the enemy began to grab hold of me. And I just got into this uh, pit of lies and deception and, and abuse. And, um, and uh, for 27 years, I moved out to Boston um, after the university and was working my way up the corporate ladder. And uh, everything 
I would say, I, I had this mask that I wore to say, everything's fine with Andrew, but it wasn't fine. Uh, everything that had begun for fun had now enslaved me. And uh, th this is the situation that my father found me in all of those years. He never gave up on me. You know, I shared that little quick timeline of my life in two minutes. It didn't go that fast for poor mom and dad, right? They had great dreams for me, a great hope for me that I would become a man of God. And, uh, but but uh, they, they didn't know what to do except for what they saw in the word of God, power in prayer. So they prayed for me faithfully, and they had hundreds of people praying for me. I came to find out, and they were kind of sensitive about it. They didn't, like, go around saying, Preach for my, pray for my heathen son, you know. But, but people were not ignorant either. It's pretty obvious. But they, this prayer card, everything we're asking you to do, this is what my father uh, and mother did for me. They prayed for me. They lived their life as an example, not perfect, but changed and growing and becoming mature, that when they told me about the abundant life, the illustration was right there before me, that in its time was powerful for me. So they prayed, they lived a life, and they shared with me the good news. And they tried everything, you know, they didn't just only take me to Luis Palau crusades and festivals, right? They tried everything. Dad went one-on-one -on -one with me. He would seek people like you at me, and I could see you coming. You think you're so, like, Sneaky. It's like, you know, they see you coming and you're like, oh, shoot, here they come, you know, and they'd be like, oh, uh, I'm in town. I'd be living in Boston, working in retail, and they'd say, I'm in town on business, and your dad said you were here. You remember me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go to, you know, you're at Denny's all of a sudden, and you got the napkin out, and like, who's on the throne of your life? And like, oh, it's so awkward, you know? And, uh, and you just, I would just weasel my way out of it and resist it, but I'm so grateful. For those faithful ones, that's what it looks like to carry the mat for someone, to believe in the gospel and, and to deliver it faithfully. Whatever he told them to do, they did it. And even as awkward as it was, they were faithful to do it, and it yielded its harvest in due time. Fast forward to 1993. I'm 27 years old, living far away from home, and my parents call me, invite me to a festival, just like we're encouraging you to do it. He invites me. I don't really want to go to another Christian event, but I do want to go to Jamaica. And this festival was in Kingston, Jamaica. So I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's February in Boston, right? Picture two months ago. And I'm like, okay, I'm coming, <laughs> right? And I know how to handle this Christian thing. All I'm thinking about is the red striped beer on the beach, get some sun. I know how to handle this thing. But God had other plans. I wish I had time to tell you more of how the Holy Spirit of God was orchestrating my life and circumstances for that very moment. A and you may be here and you say, I'd love to pray for my friends and invite them to know Jesus too, but I'm kind of much more like where you were. And if that's you today, it's no surprise to us. We've been praying for you, asking God to bring you to this place, asking, you to, to, to asking God to prepare your heart for this very moment. I found myself there with thousands around. The gospel goes out and, and, and God just uh, opens up my eyes. Uh, softens my heart that I was able to call out to him and say, God, will you please forgive me? And you can guess what he did, right? Just as he promises. He says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and able to forgive your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when I humbled myself once and for all, you could do it today. I humbled myself and said, God, I am so sorry. I have been so foolish. Please forgive me. I don't want to go this way any longer. I need you. He, he cleaned me out, lifted that shame and guilt out of my life, uh, healed me of my addictions, gave me a new desires of my heart, gave me a, a purpose in this world. So that's like 24 years. It feels like just yesterday, and I recommend it to you. Uh, 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 if you feel God calling you, 
Give him your heart today. And, and, and I, I share this all with you in hopes that when the festival comes, you'll be full of faith that God would do this kind of work through your invitation. God is on the move, and, he's, and, and he wants to use you. So I pray that as you look at this prayer card, and Pastor will tell you more about how to handle it and what the, the, the ways we're going to get engaged together. But if you are here and you do say that, I, I would love to pray for my friends and invite them to know Jesus, but you just don't know what's been happening in my heart. Maybe you've known him for many days uh, and you've walked with him in the past, but you've, you're, you've gotten tangled up with certain things that are killing your joy and killing your capacity to hear God's voice, let alone begin to move and act. If you want to ask God, he will restore you in a moment. Ask him to forgive you and put you back on his path. He will do it in a moment. Maybe you say, I've, known, I, I, I've sort of known about God or, or, and resisted him all my life. If that's you, you, you soften your heart. Respond to him. Let him transform you. Let him do that healing work in your life. Let him give you a new purpose, a new vision, and get rid of all the wandering and, and hopelessness and uncertainty. Let him take over your life. Best way I can lead you is just in a little prayer. So as we close, let's just bow our heads. And uh, I'll lead you in a prayer. And uh, you can just turn your heart to the living God. And you can just say to him, Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for never giving up on me. I do believe in you. Please forgive me. I am so sorry. Clean me out. Give me a fresh start. Thank you for paying the penalty I should have paid. I feel it pressing on me. When you died on the cross and took that upon yourself, I'm sorry, but thank you for doing it. I believe in you, and I receive you now. Thank you for forgiving me, and now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because I need power. I haven't had it before. Thank you for coming in. And thank you for heaven my home and I'll never fear death again because now I know from this day forward my name is written in your book of life and I'll be with you forever and now show me what to do I want to serve you and I want to be carrying mats as well I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Beautiful, amen? Beautiful. To hear people praying, and I know the Spirit of God is working. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, if you prayed that prayer, I want to rejoice with you. We've been praying with you. And I would even say, like, we deserve it, right? 
And we want to help you too, but just for us to celebrate and to help you to grow. If you prayed that prayer, even as, as we're led for a moment, if you prayed that prayer and you've come back to the Lord or you've received him for the first time, you come down and meet me here. We're going to pray with you. And, and maybe you have other needs and, and what we, we've been talking about has stirred up something in your heart. Let's all stand. And as we're standing, if you prayed that prayer, just come on up here. Join us here. We're going to lead you in prayer. Our prayer counselors that were here before are going to come, and we want to rejoice with you. So just make that move. It can be a little awkward. Don't worry about that, right? You want to walk with Jesus. Take a first step and come down and confess him. Let us know about what's happened in your life. Just come on down. Meet us here. We'll rejoice with you. And uh, we're going to make sure you have a, a, a Bible and, and you enter into a new relationship with your Heavenly Father. And if that relationship has been distant but restored to this day, it's just the beginning. And one of the great things about coming down and coming forward is it, it, it can help to establish the decision and it can also help you to connect with the people who love you the most, who will help you to grow and not to slip back. So you come on down here. Don't be hesitant. Don't be shy. If you don't want to come alone, just say to your friend, I know this is awkward, but come with me. I don't want to go alone. Uh, uh, and you come up with your friend, with your family member. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. 